From Optimized Health, this is the True Health Podcast, where we unlearn diet culture and optimize our life, one tip and story at a time. My guest today is Jenna Overbaugh. Jenna is a licensed professional counselor who has been working with people with OCD, anxiety, and related conditions since 2008. Her work includes time at all levels of care, including nearly 10 years of experience at a residential OCD and anxiety treatment center. She is the host of the All the Hard Things podcast, which is amazing, by the way, and educates others about these conditions through various social media efforts and other workshops. Jenna also currently provides teletherapy to those in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. On a personal note, before we jump in, um, I have had many people close to me, including myself, who have dealt with uh, some of these conditions of varying degrees and of varying levels. So I'm happy to share some of those stories as well as some great listener questions I received. Um, We've gotten tons of listener questions about this episode, which is really exciting. Uh, So I'm excited to learn alongside everybody else as we dig into these conditions that are so prevalent in our society. So with that, let's welcome Jenna. What's going on? Hi, thank you so much. Uh, I'm super excited to chat today. Uh, Yeah, and hopefully help people kind of make a little bit more sense of our brains a little bit because they can be so amazing, but so awful sometimes at the same time. So super happy to get into it. Awesome. Um, Well, yes. So before we jump into all of it, let's start with just a little about you, origin story, background for those who are not familiar with you and your work and kind of how you got into this space. Yeah, well, it goes way back uh, to when I was just a little girl, a little kid. I think a lot of my memories are of me being super anxious. And um, as it does most often with kids, uh, it came up a lot physically. I, I would go to school and have a stomach ache. I just wanted to, you know, avoid a lot of things. Oh my gosh, who am I going to sit next to at, at lunch? Who am I, um, you know, going to partner up with for this, you know, exam or for this test or this project? Um But even from a very early age, I knew that I didn't like that feeling and that entity, that feeling of of urgency or that feeling of anxiety. I didn't like that. And I knew that that wasn't good for me, Um, like it wasn't good for the future. Um, And so even super early on, I remember in like first or second grade raising my hand, especially when I didn't want to, um, because I knew that if I just did it and got it over with, it would be so much easier. Um, I remember going and like specifically sitting with the scariest group of people um, in school, like at a new first day of school for me. I was like, well, whoever is the hardest people for me to sit with, I'm going to go and sit with them. Like, I don't care how uncomfortable it is. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be easy. Everything else is going to be easier from there. Um, I just always lived my life that way. Um, And then in college, it was kind of serendipitous how it happened. I always am like, geez, like what if, what would have happened? Like if I hadn't gone to school that day or like, didn't make it to class that day, but we started learning in my psych 101 course about OCD and about anxiety. And we learned about something called exposure and response prevention, um, otherwise known as ERP. And it is an evidence-based treatment. It's actually more effective for OCD and anxiety than any other treatment for any other psychiatric condition. Um, and it's essentially that it's essentially like pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone in a way that's challenging, but manageable and reducing all of the compulsions or safety behaviors that you normally would do to make yourself feel better. Um, 
very clear cut, probably easily understandable example of that would be, um, you know, if someone is fearful of contamination, we would have them touch something that they feel is challenging, but manageable, and then resist washing their hands after. Of course, OCD is so much more than that, but that's a good example. Um, and yeah, I was like, I, this is in my bones. Like, this is everything that I want to do. This is me. I always knew that I wanted to be a therapist, but I never found myself. I'm not a very like sensitive, like, uh, like open emotionally kind of person. I'm very much more like, let's go, let's come up with a plan. Let's do something. You've got this. And so that was perfect for me. And so I really like literally that day, everything that I did, every, um, research project, every internship, it was about OCD, anxiety, ERP. It was about doing hard things. It was about changing behaviors. It was about learning processes and classical conditioning and operant conditioning and all the things. Just wanted to learn as much as possible about learning and about how we become anxious and how we can basically, you know, overcome that uh, through our behaviors. And so I went to grad school um, to study this even further, worked a lot with people who hoard, especially a lot of family members of people who hoard. Um Worked at Johns Hopkins Hospital with kiddos with uh, anxiety and OCD. And then I, uh, for 10 or so years, eight to 10 years, I worked at Rogers, um, which is a residential OCD and anxiety recovery unit. Most debilitating cases of OCD and anxiety in the world. They come from all over the world, live with us for 45 to 60 days, some of them longer. Um, And then, yeah, branched out eventually on my own private practice uh, with COVID, came to find out that everyone was kind of modernizing and therapy was modernizing, getting online. Um, And I got really comfy with social media quite quickly, (laughs) Um, like doing TikToks and doing reels and um, trying to find ways to like mass educate people in this really accessible way, which is still to this day, like some of the funnest stuff that I've ever done. Um, But I also have been super open about my own experience with OCD. I really struggled with postpartum OCD. Um, I have a five-year-old. So back in 2018, when I had him, I really struggled with postpartum OCD. I struggled with harm intrusive thoughts, sexual intrusive thoughts. Um, I thought that I was constantly dreaming, like that I, am I so sleep deprived that I could have left my son at a grocery store, even though I see him right in front of me. I know that sounds crazy, but what if, right? And like, that's really kind of what plagues people, those what if questions. Um, And, you know, if you don't have the context for it, if you don't know that OCD is more than just fear of germs and needing everything to be clean, you have these thoughts and you probably feel super alone. You probably feel super isolated and ashamed. And it doesn't have to be that way because it's actually really, really common, way more common than I think the research shows. And it's super, super treatable. So while it is incredibly and can be incredibly debilitating, it is the most changeable um, when it comes to a mental health condition. Wow. Um, That's fantastic. I already have so many thoughts and questions, (laughs) but- I think it's really interesting you talk about, I mean, two things you said really jumped out. One is that you as a person are a very sort of, um, I don't know if results focused is the the right word, but kind of um, action focused. You For sure. not necessarily like the touchy feely sensitive type. I'm like, let's figure this out. Um, and then I think similar when you talk about the exposure therapy or the ERP, um, I, I maybe want to start there and zoom in on that because something you said aligns so much with 
my view, which has been towards nutrition and fitness and behavior change and all of this, which is essentially the element that like the hardest time you're going to do something is the first time. And every time after that, it gets a little bit easier. Totally. There's reasons why. If you want me to nerd out. Yeah, Yeah, please. Because I I find, you know, with our work and, and in habit development and even in my own you know, I got into this space after a 130 pound weight loss journey that wow. changed my whole life. And so looking back at that, which I still do all the time, there's still a part of my brain that's like the 300 plus version, you know, version of myself where I go, oh, the first time going in the gym was the most terrifying thing of all time to me. And it got a little bit easier every time. And so like how, how give me some more around that, whether it's the science or how that applies towards some of these mental health conditions you're talking about. Oh my gosh. So, so amazing. And I, I know this is an episode about OCD and anxiety, but like, this is so much more than just OCD and anxiety. This is about, uh, like you're saying, right? Like we all avoid things, right? Like we all let fear dictate our lives in ways that we don't want it to. We all like, there was a time before you made it to the gym for that first time where you wanted to do it and you wish that you could have, but it felt so hard and you let fear make that decision for you. Right. And, and it just, you avoided it. Right. Yeah. Um, it can come up in so many, so many ways. Like even if you don't have a diagnosis of OCD or, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, like everybody can benefit from this stuff. But so what was happening before, for example, just use your example. So what was happening before you finally went to the gym for that first time? You wanted to, you wanted to, and then you didn't, right? Like you you imagined people making fun of you or you imagined feeling uncomfortable and so you avoided. Yeah. Totally understandable, right? Totally makes sense. But what people don't realize is that by avoiding or by doing whatever safety behavior that they do, whether that's hand washing with fear of contamination, you know, reassurance seeking from somebody going on Google down the Google rabbit hole, checking our appearance that one more time in the mirror, whatever it is, right. To kind of make ourselves feel better every time that you do that. So every time that you avoided going to the gym, even though you wanted to, you just reinforced the idea that going to the gym was scary. So you just gave credibility to the thought that the gym equals threatening. You just gave credibility to that. And so your brain doesn't know that you have anxiety, right? It just kind of makes assumptions and makes inferences on how you act. And so when you behaviorally avoid something that's scary, your brain gets the message that that must have been threatening. Otherwise, you know, Ethan would have never avoided it. So let's remember that in the future. So now the next time that you want to go to the gym and, you know, you, you have that urge and that desire to go to the gym. Now your brain has that memory of how good it felt to not go, you know? And it's like, huh, thank goodness you didn't go to the gym because otherwise you would have gotten made fun of. Thank goodness you didn't go to the gym because you would have been too anxious and you wouldn't have been able to handle that versus like all the other awesome things that could have happened, right? Like good thing you went to the gym because you kicked butt and like that felt really good and you did it. You got through it. You don't know that unless you do it, right? You don't know that. And so your brain only has the memories of it being a failure. Your brain only has the assumption that it would have been catastrophic had you had you gone. And so you're robbing yourself. I mean, you're quite literally, when we avoid things that we want to do because of anxiety, you're quite literally robbing yourself of the opportunity to learn that you could have done it and it could have gone really, really well. And so 
when you finally do, for whatever reason, you finally do want to go to the gym enough, or you do finally amp yourself up or something happens where you feel like it's more manageable for you to go, you go. And it's of course, anxiety provoking. And why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? Because you have given your brain all of these memories and all of this credibility for why the gym is so scary in the first place. Otherwise, why would you have been avoiding it? So of Mm. course it's going to be anxiety provoking, but it's going to be, you're so right because it's going to be anxiety provoking the first time that you do it. And if you stay there and you don't run away at the first like teeny tiny sign of someone looking at you or the first sign that, you know, you feel anxious and you sit through that, you're going to learn a couple things, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're going to learn that, Hey, you know, this concept of getting made fun of or being too anxious that I can't tolerate it. That wasn't as likely as I thought. It's also going to the gym is not as catastrophic as I thought. And you know what? God forbid you do walk into the gym and you are uncomfortable. You now know that you can handle that. You now know that you can handle that and the world keeps spinning and you figured it out. And so now you have that memory. And so the next time that you go to the gym, you now not only do you have like those multiple bad memories that are, are saying that the gym is dangerous, but now you have one really powerful memory that is suggesting that it's actually not as catastrophic as you thought. It's not as likely as you thought. And, you know, God forbid something bad does happen. I can cope with that. And yeah. so, you know, the next time it's still anxiety provoking because you have all those competing memories, but it's a little bit less anxiety provoking. And then it's a little less anxiety provoking and you keep going and you keep going and you build new memories through those new opportunities. And suddenly you go to the gym and it's no big deal. And you're like, I cannot believe that I was so anxious about this. <laughs> But we never, sometimes we don't, we're not brave enough to take that first step. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And I think it's almost interesting when you say we're creating new memories where it's sort of like, and this I hear a lot of people talk about as applies to even relationships they're in, or maybe they've had a negative relationship experience in the past. And so their brain has seemingly taught themselves, okay, when I'm in this situation, I should fear blank, or this is a negative And the only way to get through that is to be in a different situation where you can kind of change the response to that same scenario, which is kind of what you're discussing as far as any sort of new memory, new habit. It's all about forward momentum and kind of facing that situation and pushing through it, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another concept that is is happening at play here, too. Um, And exposures, all these things like this is not just for people who have OCD and anxiety, right? Like yeah, this applies to everybody. It sounds like an exposure is just something that's anxiety provoking that you you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And like, who doesn't benefit from that? Right? Like who doesn't benefit from pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone, whether that's like, you know, a woman going and like picking up a weight for the first time versus, you know, just going on the cardio machines. Um, you know, effortfully and purposefully intentionally doing something that's scary because you want to, and because you know that that's good for you, that's an exposure. And and we all would benefit from doing that. Um, But there's, so what I was talking about, kind of those new experiences, you're contributing to new learning pathways. And this, that quite literally, like you'll see changes that take place in the brain. So we've done research to show that if we take a, an image, like a brain imaging scan of somebody who has OCD and anxiety and someone who does not, their brains look different. Like there's more blood flow and less blood flow in certain areas, which totally makes sense, right? Like 
you know, our amygdalas, if you have OCD and anxiety, like the fear center of your brain, that's going to have like be super, super active because we're constantly being vigilant versus somebody who's like way more chill, like my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's also really cool is that we have also taken people like at the beginning of therapy before they've done all these exposures and reduced their safety behaviors. And we've done it after like several weeks or several months and their brains look completely, those brains look completely different. So this isn't just like hullabaloo, like this is actual legitimate, like neuroplasticity at play. Like you can actually legitimately create new learning pathways Mm. through these behavior changes. And, you know, when it comes to the brain, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so, you know, like whatever's not being kind of nurtured, you know, like whatever neurons and neuronal pathways aren't being nurtured, you kind of, you kind of prune that out. Right. And and you kind of learn new things to override it, but there's mm-hmm. also the concept of habituation. So habituation means that we just simply get used to something with the passing of time. Right. So we've all had that experience when we jump into a pool and it's really, really cold at first, but without even having to move or generate energy, we all get used to that. Right. It's just a function of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are incredible. Our, we're constantly trying to maintain balance and get back to a state of normalcy, right? To get back to, we don't like extremes. That's why when we're hot, we sweat. When we're cold, we shiver so that we can warm up, right? The same thing happens with our feelings, right? We've done research to show that feelings, if we're truly not interfering with the process, like sadness, it lasts about seven minutes. You know, anxiety lasts about seven minutes, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know if I'm getting that hundred percent, right. But the idea is that these feelings don't last forever unless we are interfering with the process, right. Unless we're, if we're trying to fix it, if we're trying to change it. And that's kind of like the equivalent of like jumping out of a pool, right. If you stay in the pool and you, and you sit through that initial discomfort and you let your body adjust and you let time pass, all you have to do is not get out of the pool and you will eventually get used to it. It won't feel as intense, but that's, that's what habituation is, right? This concept that, you know, if something is repetitive enough and prolonged enough, we get used to it. So, you know, my first podcast was super anxiety provoking. I was up like all night the night before. And now this is like, it's like mind numbing, right? Like obviously not super, not mind numbing. It's super uh, amazing. And I'm so honored, but like you do things repetitively enough, you do it for a prolonged period of time enough and your body can't possibly sustain that anxiety for that long. Mm, so it's really, it's so fascinating. fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Wow. So to, to broaden it, you know, when you look at anxiety and OCD and, and lots of similar conditions, but focusing on those two, you hear them both so often all the time in society and people use them both um, very loosely, very broadly. And I know there's a, a range and a spectrum to each, but just for the 101, how would you define anxiety? How would you define OCD? So I'm part of a small but mighty crew within the OCD and anxiety world. I feel like functionally OCD and anxiety are not that different. So yes, technically, if we look up the diagnostic and statistical manual, there is obsessive compulsive and related conditions. And under that we have obsessive compulsive disorder. And then in a separate, completely separate category, we have anxiety, like generalized anxiety disorder, specific phobias, social anxiety, agoraphobia, panic disorder, so on and so forth. But the, what all the stuff that I've said, right. About like 
the learning, the how avoidance, right? It just like reinforces and it gives that that initial thought credibility, habituation. It all applies, you know, like I don't care whether someone is anxious about like having to give a presentation, you know, more social anxiety, maybe whether somebody is worried about the state of the world and their health, maybe more generalized anxiety disorder, or whether they're worried about contamination, you know, or like a a weird, strange taboo thought that they had. Like, I don't care what is making somebody anxious. My job is to help them understand that and reconcile that, understand the things that they're doing that make that worse understand the things that they need to be implementing in order to make that better and to live their life. So Mm. long story short, I don't think that there's a functional difference, but for what people probably need to know, generally obsessive compulsive disorder is, um, it, it is comprised of two, two problems, right? So we have obsessions and then we have compulsions. Obsessions are defined as intrusive thoughts, ideas, images, impulses, feelings, or commands. These kind of spam experiences, right? And we all have them. Research shows that 95 to 99% of people all over the world, no matter your socioeconomic status or whatever, they all experience these random intrusive thoughts, just like these weird freaking thoughts that come in out of nowhere. And they're totally random and totally strange. Um, Like, oh my gosh, what if I just like swerve my car off the road right now? Or like, what if I just punch that baby in the face, right? Um, And the thing is, is that we can all like, you know, for the most part, people can kind of, you know, I don't know where the heck that thought came from. And they move on to the next thing. They continue doing whatever it was that they were doing. But for a subset of individuals, and those are people who are vulnerable to developing OCD, they feel uh, that those thoughts are a little bit stickier. So those thoughts, instead of just, you know, noticing it and letting it go and moving on to the next thing, they might take responsibility for that thought. Like, oh my gosh, what does that mean about me that I just had that thought about punching that baby? Does that mean that I would actually want to punch that baby? What does that mean about me? Oh my gosh, I shouldn't be around babies. Would I ever actually do that? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of those rituals kind of that come in, right? And that's the second piece, which is the compulsions. Um, I use those synonymously with, you know, rituals is a compulsion, is a safety behavior, Those are just any things that someone would do to reduce the anxiety that they feel from an obsession. So I don't like the way that that thought made me feel. I need to go and do this. And there are very physical compulsions, right? Like jumping onto Google, having a weird thought about punching a baby. What does this mean about me? Um, You know, something like that. Or, you know, confessing that to somebody. I just had this really weird thought. Like, do you, have you ever had that thought before? Do you think that's weird? Mm -hmm. Um, Could also be, you know, there are lots of non-observable compulsions too. Like trying to work out in your head, would I ever actually hurt a baby? Um, And, and, you know, surface level, that feels like it should make sense. It feels like that should eliminate the obsession. It feels like that should eliminate it and make it fine. But because of everything that I just expressed, right? You know, by jumping onto Google, by confessing that thought or by trying to work it out in your head, you've just now given that initial thought credibility that, okay, this thought must be important. You, uh, this image, this random image of you punching a baby must be important. So, you know, then you're on the lookout for it. Um, and, and so it just reinforcing it, right? Like, like yep. you said earlier, so then you're reinforcing that thought until it yep. becomes more quote unquote real. Totally. And so you're going to be around a baby again, right? Like that's life. You're going to be around a baby again. And so what's going to happen because of that memory that you have established uh, and, you know, and all the credibility that you've given it. Now you're definitely going to have that thought about punching that baby. And now you're because your anxiety 
felt temporarily better last time when you Googled it, you're probably going to want to Google it again because our bodies love whatever makes us feel better, even if it makes us feel worse in the long run. And so maybe now that person is like, screw it. I'm never going out in public again. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see those babies. Right. And then suddenly it's like, it's not just little babies, right? Like they're homebound, but now they can't even be around their dogs or their, you know, their brothers or sisters. And it, it, when you continue to get in and stuck in that cycle, it can be so debilitating and your world can become so small. Um, so, so yeah, that's OCD, uh, and, and OCD, you know, we have the obsessions, we have the compulsions, but really we also across all psychological conditions, we're looking for two things. We're looking for distress and impairment. So yes, we all, all over the world, we all have those intrusive thoughts just because you have those intrusive thoughts. It doesn't mean that you have OCD, and we all avoid things every once in a while, right? Like we all are human. We all have these little weird things that we do. We're not perfect. Um, we're not like a hundred percent of the time anxiety warriors, right? Like we, sometimes we just avoid things that we don't want to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have OCD. So we are always looking at distress and impairment. So distress, how much distress and general discomfort is this causing to you in your life and your loved ones, um, and impairment. So to what degree has this really affected your ability to do your activities of daily living? So things like cooking, eating, um, you know, going to school, being with loved ones, leaving your house, but also just like things that you want to do. Like if it's getting in the way of you living your life, it's probably time to talk to somebody. Um, and anxiety is generalized anxiety disorder is, is kind of like the official term for it, but, it's literally exactly the same, except it's anxiety about quote unquote, everyday kind of real life problems. Um, so I think examples are like things about like health and bills and so on and so forth. Again, I don't, I don't care what someone is anxious about. My job is to, I'm whatever someone is anxious about, I'm going to educate them the same way about the anxiety cycles and about fear. Um, and how, you know, we're going to identify safety behaviors that they're doing. Um, things that they're doing to kind of perpetuate that cycle and give the thoughts credibility. And we're going to come up with a plan to try to reduce those things while simultaneously trying to get them outside of their comfort zone. Um, but any, anyway, right. Like it's about not letting fear dictate your decisions. It's about making sure that you are living your best life and that you are in the driver's seat and not anxiety or panic or fear. Yeah. And, and what's so fascinating is the overlap. Cause it's funny. I was even you know, you obviously hear about this and people talk about it all the time, but before, you know, in prep for this, I was doing some Googling and looking, I was like, oh, the symptoms are very similar, at least from what I was reading online. I mean, different, different, maybe um, manifestations or different, you know, but the symptoms and the feelings seem to be really similar. I, I was thinking about this, something like anxiety, right? Like to an extent that it, that seems to just be a human, like everybody to everybody has that everybody can relate to that. So also when you look at kind of the world and studies, the rates of anxiety and OCD and seemingly many mental health conditions are only growing, which seems to show a lot of this is environmental. A lot of this is in the world we live in, as opposed to, for example, something you're just born with. Uh, so how, when you look at something like anxiety and this idea of, okay, well, if everybody understands and relates to and has anxiety at times, right? at what point does that manifest itself into a place of, okay, I should really seek further support or treatment for this, as opposed to, 
all right, we all are going to experience anxiety when we're in blank, uncomfortable situation. Right. It's such a good question. Oh my gosh. So, um, and you're right. Every psychological condition, I don't know that I could even think of any that doesn't like, you know, fall under what I'm about to say, but they all exist on a spectrum. So, um, you know, even psychosis, right? Like even psychotic symptoms exist on a spectrum. I'm sure we've all experienced like thinking our phone was vibrating in our pocket and then it's not in our pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but again, like we kind of like chalk that up to just like, well, oh, that's weird, <laughs> right? Like yeah, we kind of write it off in that moment. Yeah. Right? We've all had low moods. We've all had like days where, you know, we don't feel like ourselves and we don't have the energy to do the things that we normally would do. And we feel sad, Um So all of these things exist on a spectrum. It is not like either, yes, you have it or no, you don't. Um, Of course, like to get that diagnosis, you would see a a licensed mental health professional, um, but to, to be categorized or like have that label as OCD or generalized anxiety disorder, it comes back to distress and impairment. Um, So we look at those things, but practically what I'm looking at is how, how, who's in control, right? Like is, are you in control? Are you able to kind of like recognize when um, that's becoming a little bit too intense, right? Like out of proportion to the actual threat, whether that's like a job or a task or a goal that you have, can you be mindful? And mindful is just paying attention to the present moment in the moment. Can you be mindful? And when that's happening, when we're getting a little bit too overboard with our anxiety or our fear, can we kind of step back and make sure that we are asserting our control, right? Like, nope little bit, you know, putting a little bit too much into this assignment or into this right now, like I'm going to turn it off for tonight and I'm going to go to bed. Or do you feel like, no, as much as I would want to go to bed, I have to keep working on this or else something bad will happen. Right. So I think of it in terms of like a controllability, right? Like who's in control. Um, I also think of it as far as like, how flexible are you? Right. Like I am, I'm a pretty anxious person. I'd say like, even like through all the treatment that I've done, like I'm still a generally anxious person. I feel like I'm always going to like err on that side versus like the more chill side. But I do feel like I'm pretty flexible, right? Like if somebody asks me to do something that causes me anxiety, but I still want to do it, I'm going to do it, right? Like I, I don't feel like I follow any like rigid rules. I kind of try to take things as I go. Um, and I'm not trying to get rid of those feelings. Like I am much more guided by what I want to do and what my goals are. And what future general wants or needs versus right now. Like I need to get out of the situation now because I don't want to right now. Um, so yeah, practically just be monitoring and asking yourself like who's in control here, right? Like what do, am I feeling like I'm slipping when it comes to my level of assertion over this fear? Um, and if you feel like you're not in the driver's seat the way that you would want to be, then absolutely it's time to start learning about these concepts, whether that's more naturally on your own, like from trusted sources, say on Instagram or something like that. Obviously, we'd love for everybody to have a therapist, but that's not totally accessible to everyone. So um, yeah. And I I mean, like I said, these are concepts that are good for everybody to learn. Like yeah. regardless of if you have OCD or anxiety, we can all benefit from challenging ourselves a little bit and just understanding like that anxiety plays tricks on us and we don't always have to, we don't have to listen to those tricks. We can still make sure that we are living a values driven life, regardless of the presence of that fear. It's yeah. It's so amazing. You worded it that way. I mean, I was talking to somebody uh, very close to me this morning about 
some feelings she'd been having a close friend of mine where, you know, these feelings of uh, anxiety or just being quote unquote in a funk or just kind of off or depressed or out of it or all this kind of stuff. And what we were talking about is this balance between, okay, these feelings are coming up, right? And there's one part of our brain or what we are typically told or hear people talk about, which is, okay, just sit and own those feelings, kind of similar to what you were saying earlier, like, this is going to pass, I need to just sit with this discomfort, own these feelings and kind of let it pass. Whereas the other side, which is, okay, there are, you know, tools you can do to proactively push against this. So for some people, it's meditating or journaling or going on a walk. Um, if somebody is feeling this, maybe, uh, I don't know, not for the first time, but if all of a sudden they're like, wow, I'm really feeling this in a way I haven't before in my life, where where do they go as far as kind of treating it or acting against it? How much of it is the balance between sitting with it and owning it and acknowledging it sort of without judgment versus, okay, here are actionable tools you can do like meditation or some of those things that would help work against it? Yeah. So I think so much of it is I mean, yeah, so much of it is like, yeah, there are actionable things that you can do, but it's, it's actually more so about what you're not doing, right? Like I think mm -hmm. so many times when it comes to OCD and anxiety, people, they think of it like a math equation and they're like, okay, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Do I need to go running more? Do I need to eat better? Do I need to meditate? Do I need to do this? And it's like, priorities, right? Like those things are, are great, but what we actually need to do is we're not adding anything to the equation. We're actually, we actually need first and foremost, we need to start reduce. We need to actually eliminate a piece of the equation that was never meant to be there, which mm -hmm. is the safety behaviors and the avoidance and the rituals. So, you know, what I work on first with my people is educating them about the, about the avoidance, right? Educating them about the, um, safety behaviors or rituals or compulsions that they're doing. And instead of them doing more and doing more stuff and more stuff and more stuff, it's like, let's actually the work, the behavioral work is actually in letting go of those rituals and making a plan, right. To, you know, I'm, you know, whether, however much I want to avoid it, I will be in the gym five days this week. And I will be in my car to go to the gym by 10 a.m., sharp, no matter how badly I want to avoid it, I will be at the gym this time. Um, so really like making a plan to reduce that avoidance. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't want to get into this like tug of war with OCD. This is a really common metaphor that actually comes from acceptance and commitment therapy or act. Um, it's really, really amazing. A great book about this is, I forget what it is. I'll have to look it up and I'll make sure that I get it to you. But the happiness trap is exactly what it is. It's called the happiness trap. Um, and it's all about acceptance and commitment therapy. So it's actually so much more about acceptance. And instead of trying to fight against these thoughts and fight against these feelings of discomfort, we accept them. Um, and it's in our acceptance of it that we actually get to feel so much better. Um, so mm -hmm. even the words that you use, like to fight against it, like, it it's so much more of like an attitude thing, right? Like I don't, uh, fighting against it almost implies that we're continuing to be in that tug of war with OCD. Whereas what I teach my people is you just drop the rope, right? Like you don't have to participate in that. Like you don't have to participate in that fight. 
another analogy that we use is that it feels like quicksand. It feel like fight, like, you know, overcoming OCD and anxiety. It feels like quicksand because it feels like you're sinking and it feels like you need to do something. It feels like you need to get rid of it, but really the act is to not fight it. Right. The 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 goal is to not fight it. And it, it feels completely paradoxical. It feels like it goes against everything that you know or have been told and everything that your body wants to do. So you want to fight against that quicksand, right? But really what we need you to do and the way out is to, you know, you're supposed to relax, right? Like you're supposed right. to kind of let go of the fight. Um, yeah. and in that you win, right? Like you you don't lose a game that you don't play. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there's nothing inherently that's good or bad. Like meditation is not inherently good or bad. Um, you know, washing your hands is not inherently good or bad. Going to the gym is not inherently good or bad. It's all about why you're doing it. So I always empower my clients and the people that I work with to ask themselves, what's the function is the function of me going to the gym because I just feel good when I go to the gym and I want to go to the gym. I, you know, I, I like taking care of my body or is it, if I don't go to the gym today, I'm going to feel so fat and disgusting that I can't handle it. And so I have to go to the gym, mm. right? Like going to the gym in that situation, right? Like that's, that's dangerous, right? Like you, every time you go to the gym, you're reinforcing this idea that in order to feel okay with yourself, you have to go to the gym, right? So, you know, I always ask my people, what's the function, right? Like, what's the function of you meditating mm-hmm. is, are you meditating because you just like it and, and, and you feel good about it? And it's a practice that you really value and you prefer to meditate or do you need to meditate? Do you need to meditate? Otherwise, if you don't, you will feel terrible and you won't be able to manage the rest of the day. Yeah. Wow. I like the, the distinction between preference and need. Do you prefer to go to the gym or do you need to go to the gym? Preference indicates more flexibility and you being in control. Need, you're no longer in control, right? Like you're no longer in control. So um, that those are really simple distinctions. Yeah, it's fascinating. And we don't have to go off on a tangent about this, but even thinking about not only my life and people I know where that balance, right? Where you're sort of, um, for example, I'll just, I'll just share like in, in my own life, there was a phase where, especially while I was losing all that weight, it was almost like, at least what I had told myself was, it was almost like a switch that was flipped where it was kind of like, all right, if I want to hit this crazy goal or this really intense goal that I'm going for. There were moments where it was almost obsessive. It was almost, I eat this certain way. I work out this certain way. I have to do this because if I don't, I'm so scared of going back to original version of myself. You know what I mean? And that's fear-driven, right? Like that's a perfect example of something that's fear-driven and anxiety-driven versus values-driven. Totally. And that's, you know, especially, I mean, a few years ago, even where, which is sort of tail end of that journey, where then being able to transition away from that into, oh, I eat this way most of the time because I feel better. And sometimes I don't, and that's fine too. Like where it that's is now is much more. For you. There you go. There you go. It's wild. Um, okay. Personal story also. Uh, I got her permission to ask. This has to do with my mom. Shout out to Marcy. What's up, Marcy? Hi, Marcy. So she uh, is somebody who has struggled with um, what we've 
always just defined as OCD, um, kind of throughout, at least as long as I can remember, um, in different ways, but she has a lot of different compulsions I'm learning from you, I think would be the right word for it, where, you know, uh, everything from formerly um, washing her hands repeatedly, repeatedly until her hands would bleed, you know, over and over, or leaving the house and needing to check every door in the entire house to make sure it was locked, and then driving down the street, driving back home, triple checking oh. the door is locked, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I don't think she's ever seen anybody for it. Um, I mean, that's as also manifest in things like, um, not just for her, but other people I know, hoarding and collecting things, you know, going through receipts from 10 years ago and stuff like this. Um, somebody like that in, in Marcy's case, for example, like, is there a specific root cause? Is there a specific, like, even in talking to her, she, I was talking to her about this the other day. She's like, I don't know where this came from. I don't know how this improves. It's improved naturally. It's not as bad as it was, you know, years ago, but in a situation like that, where she's seeing it in multiple different aspects, it's not just hand-washing, door-locking, hoarding, whatever, um, I, I guess I'm just asking in that situation, like where are the first places to look to start making progress? Is it simply around what you're talking about, kind of accepting it and not trying to fight it? Is it seeing somebody for help? Is it kind of the function, the fear, like where, where would somebody like that start maybe? So I am a really big fan of, I, I start first with education. Like, I think that so much of this can be not amended, but you, I mean, when you have OCD and anxiety, like so much of it is just like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Like, I never thought about it that way before. And so much relief, I guess is probably the word, like so much relief and empowerment can come from just understanding it. Right. Like I think some people walk around literally feeling like they're going crazy and like, <laughs> they, they don't understand what's going on. And like, that has to be so sad and so scary because even when I started to have my more OCD symptoms, like the harm intrusive thoughts and, you know, whatnot, I already had 10 years in the field. Like I never didn't know what I was struggling with. And so it makes me so sad to like hear about cases of people who like, don't know what's going on. Like they've got to just feel so scared, but so just education and like understanding what it is, um, whether that's through podcasts, like just making sure that it's a trustworthy source. Like, um, I'm obviously biased, but I'm a trusted source. So like educating yourself through my stuff, podcasts, the OCD stories podcast is a really good one. Um, the international OCD foundation has really good, um, scientific based empirically studied information. That's IOCDF.org. Um, but what I would want to tell lovely Marcy is that that is actually very common, right? Like it's, it's common for it to come out in a lot of different ways, like with the checking and the hand washing and the having to go back and redrive. So, OCD and anxiety are called the doubt disorders. So mm -hmm. doubting whether your hands are clean enough, doubting whether she turned this thing off, doubting whether she did this and her house is still standing, right? Um, so it's all doubt. And so, you know, for some people it can actually feel like so many different things, like, oh my gosh, the hand washing and the checking and the redriving and the asking for reassurance and the going, it's like, no, it's actually just one thing. It's doubt. It's the intolerance of uncertainty. 
And so it's way more common for that to come out in a lot of different ways. It's kind of like wherever you're not willing to tolerate uncertainty, that's where OCD will fester. Um, So if you're not willing to tolerate uncertainty about the fact that you like didn't 100% close that or your hands aren't 100% clean enough, like that is what is going to probably fester, right? So, um, so I would obviously love for anybody to work with a therapist, but I don't think I also am not ignorant. Like I know that that's not accessible for people. That's not something that people just jump on the opportunity to do. Um, I also know that OCD is super nuanced. And so, um, you know, you can't just, unfortunately in a lot of places, you know, virtually has made it a little bit more accessible, but there's not a whole lot, you know, like relative to other conditions, like there aren't a whole lot of specialists out there who understand it. And, you know, we'll do the good work. Um, but you absolutely need to be doing either like on your own as best as possible, um, or seeing somebody who specializes in exposure and response prevention. If, if, if you're, if you have OCD or you have anxiety and you're not doing exposure and response prevention, you're either you maybe a kind of wasting your time or B, you might actually be doing some things that are kind of detrimental to your treatment. Um, So, you know, talk therapy, you know, where you kind of just sit down and talk about your fears and talk about the things like that's been shown time and time again, that that's not helpful. It might feel helpful for the first session, but then it just, you know, you come back and you just talk about the same thing again. You never get anywhere because you're not doing anything about it. Um, But as far as Marcy's question is, you know, about like, I don't even know how this happened. I don't even know where this came from. OCD and anxiety, like most mental health conditions, are both nature and nurture situations. So there is a biological and genetic component. Um, so likely there's probably a lot of this in your family, like, you know, her parents or grandparents or, you know, brother, sister, whatever, maybe her not dad, be her dad had right. OCD. Yeah. So not even the, it doesn't even have to be the same exact expression, but just like that vulnerability, it makes you more vulnerable to it. Um, And, you know, that isn't for sure, like to say that absolutely, if I have OCD, that 100%, my child is going to have it. It has so much to do also with environment. We call it a loaded gun theory. So, you know, in theory, right? Like you are given this loaded gun, like you have the genetics for it, uh, but your environment can really dictate one or the other, one way or the other, whether that trigger gets pulled. Um, And so, you know, environment, you know, how things were modeled for her growing up, like I'm sure not only did she have this genetic predisposition, but she also probably learned implicitly or explicitly what was dangerous or what was scary from what she witnessed if her dad had it, right? Um, Stressful life events can definitely bring out that trigger, like make that gunfire. That's why it's so common for new moms to experience OCD and anxiety because it's such a stressful life event. Obviously hormonal changes can influence that as well, but it's just such a stressful life event. So, um, but OCD too, like I heard you mention that, you know, it's not as bad as what it was. Um, OCD is definitely a shapeshifter. So, you know, a couple of years ago, it might've been one thing. And then a couple of years later, it might be something different. And it also naturally waxes and wanes. Um, so it, it does naturally have this process of like, you know, it was a really bad, it was really bad for a year. And then all of a sudden it just kind of went away. And then, you know, it comes back maybe a year later and it's like, what the heck? Um, but absolutely everybody out there, if you have OCD, if you have anxiety, if any of this is resonating with you. I encourage you to do as much education as you can learn about exposure and response prevention um, from my stuff. The International OCD Foundation, the OCD Stories podcast is also really incredible. 
Um, there's so much good stuff out there. The OCD community, like, especially the therapists, we are just like fierce about this, this information. Like we just like, love it. We're super passionate about it. So there's a lot of really good information that's out there readily accessible. It's amazing. And I think on a, on a big, you know, zooming out again, like, I think what's so awesome about you among many things is, mm-hmm. you know, I love that you're taking this more, um, actionable approach to it where it's like people should be educated on this people Mm -hmm. should learn that this is not something they personally have done wrong or they're missing something this is a thing that's kind of naturally in way more people than many people realize and I think what's really powerful is this idea that you keep mentioning which is essentially that you know regardless of the starting point a huge piece of this is just reinforcing behavior in one direction or another like that, you know, not to oversimplify it, but it's legit. Like someone, I think it was from atomic habits, like the book atomic habits, which is also a really great read and like totally consistent with everything that we've talked about. I think he says somewhere in there that like everything that you do is, is either a vote for the person that you want to be or for the person you don't want to be. And I tell people that all the time, like, you can make whatever choice you make, but like everything that you do either makes your OCD and anxiety worse or it makes it better. Like there's no like in between, like every choice that you make either brings you closer to the person that you want to be or, or contributes to you staying the way that things, that things have been. Um, yeah. And I always like to tell people too, like having OCD and anxiety is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Like, especially now, like, especially once you know better, you can, you know, right. Like, it's not your fault, you know, like you only know what you know, and you couldn't have known what you didn't know two years ago, right? Like you don't know what you don't know, but once you do know, right, like it's, it is your responsibility for yourself, like to, to learn more and to, you know, try to understand it a little bit better. Amazing. Um, One more topic I want to quickly cover, which you've touched on is just this idea of in the health and fitness in the nutrition and fitness space, right? I think what I've seen is so much negative marketing and pushing that just make people sort of feel badly about themselves uh, to then try and sell some program or product or whatever. But then the response can be almost an obsessive search for the six pack abs you see from this trainer on Instagram or you know, probably the most common thing we try to avoid with people we work with in health coaching is like, hey, we aren't going to do the obsessive calorie counting. And like, like all of these things lead to obsession and compulsion. And it's all the same stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Um, we talked about this a little beforehand. You're also a personal trainer, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but just anything in that space that is it just the same thing applies? Is it just knowing your tendencies for people who might be looking for improved physical health, weight loss, all this kind of stuff, fitness, where to draw the line, how to navigate it in a way where you can build those habits without getting overly obsessive um, for them. Yeah, everything applies. There's actually a a large body of research that it kind of shows and argues that OCD and eating disordered behaviors are not all that different, right? Um, So much of it is just a difference in semantics. Like, in OCD world, we call them rituals or compulsions. In eating disorder world, we call them compensatory behaviors, <laughs> right? Like yeah. they serve the same function. Compensatory behaviors like, you know, purging or, um, you know, checking 
uh, a nutrition label because you are doubtful about the nutrition count or how many calories are in it or whatever, right? Like those are all things that you do to make yourself feel better from something that feels uncomfortable, right? Like either that doubt about the nutritional content or, and like the supposed impacts of that, um, or the purging, right? Like it feels really uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's all, everything that I've said, like still totally applies. I think another thing that comes up is obviously this concept of like comparison, right? Like comparisons are hard no matter what field we're in, but certainly for like the aesthetic field or health and fitness, um, something that's been really helpful for me personally. And for the people who I talk to is like, you know, as much as you might want that and like, you know, you, you do the, my fitness pal and you track cause you want the six pack or whatever. It's like, I want you all the next time that you're like envious of someone, right. Or envious of something, or you're comparing yourself to something or someone ask yourself, like, are you willing slash, do you want to give up some things in your life and live the life that they have. Right. An example mm -hmm. of this is I, I participated in a fitness competition, uh, not too long ago, like a couple months ago. And I really thought that I was going to win. I thought that I had a really good chance of winning. Um, was pretty stoked about it. Um, I got smoked by two of these other girls who I thought at the time, like I wasn't, I like, I was so upset. Like I was so upset. Like, I don't know how they kind of beat me or pulled that out, but I like spent a really long time, like really comparing myself to them and like, oh my gosh, like our physique or like how much we lift or how fast we can run because like they had this winner status, like they had what I wanted. And I really like felt this compelling urgency to like compare myself to them. Come to find out one of them, of course, I didn't find it out months later, this girl doesn't eat any carbs. She, you know, doesn't have any kids. I have a kid, so you can't really, you know, do anything with that. Um, she, you know, yeah, doesn't eat any carbs. She goes to two camps a day and runs like five miles after she doesn't have a job. Like she works from, like she as a stay at home, uh, you know, just her husband does all the things, which is great. Like good for her, but like, that's not my life. Like, of course, she's going to be able to do two camps and run six miles after every yeah, camp. I'm a kid and I own my own business. Like, so that really put into perspective for me. Like, of course, I want her physique. Right. And I, I, I want to be skinnier, like to not have as much fat or, you know, to be able to run the way that she runs. But like, am I willing to give up what I have and do the things that she does to have that? No, I'm not willing. Oh, and she doesn't drink alcohol. Right. Mm -hmm. I just like, whatever, if you don't, you don't, but I like to have a, a glass of champagne when I like meet a business goal. I think that's yeah. really like, that's just my jam. Totally. Um, so yeah, like I'm not willing to give that up. I obviously have a child. I'm not willing to give him up. I am not willing to give up carbs because if I don't, I feel like crap and I get really dizzy. So like, no, I'm not willing to live my life like that. And, right. and it, it kind of just like zapped away that crappiness of the comparison. Cause it's like, I, if I, if I gave up my life and I gave up everything and did all the things that she does, pro maybe I would win, but I don't want to, if, if winning means doing all that, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, so with that, I like, I think people get so obsessed with comparing to other people. And it's like, if you actually knew how miserable a lot of people's lives are that are so obsessed with this or I don't want to say miserable, or they're just so into it that that is their whole life. Like, right. sure, like, great. If you want to, that doesn't sound great. 
to me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like, again, like w- it doesn't mean anything against them, but yeah, like not at all. what I'm doing is comparing and wanting, right? Like you have to be willing to sign up for the whole thing. You can't just want the best parts of all the worlds, right? Like you can't have, like there's this OCD anxiety and I think life in general, right? Like we want this fantasy where like, I get the kid, I have my amazing business and I am able to sleep eight hours a night and I have a great relationship with my husband and I have the physique of that woman. Like, no, that woman is able to do what she does because she doesn't drink, she doesn't have a kid and she doesn't have a job. Like- It's it, like you can't compare apples to oranges. Like know that. the full picture exactly. Um, you're amazing. I love how much all of this applies to everything. Last question for you. Last question for you. Um, we've covered tons of ground, tons of ground. Um, putting all this together, and I ask everybody this: How would you define true health? That's such a good question. I would define true health as living in honor of your future self. Um, I think so many times we do the things that like just make sense right now, right? Like make sense right now. Um, whether that's like, you know, I want to, I want to go to the gym, but I'm so scared. So I'm going to avoid it. Right. Like truly asking yourself, what would future Ethan want or what would future Jenna want? And sometimes that's rest, right? Like it's not always like, go, 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 like go to the gym, whatever. Like sometimes future Jenna needs to realize that it's okay to take a rest day too. Um, so, you know, I think that's true health to me, like being compassionate with yourself, which again, compassion in, in my world is like, what would future you need? Does future you need to, you know, do the hard thing or does future you need a little bit of a break today? Either way, I don't care. But like, as long as we are fighting for that future person um, and yeah, doing the things that are good for our future selves versus, you know, just right now. Um, And I think that's why I've always been really successful. Like I said, even when I was a kid, I was always thinking about future Jenna. Um, So true health to me would be making sure that you are living a values driven life in favor and in honor of, of your future self. That is so beautiful. I could talk for hours about that, but I will just say that is so spot on and perfect and amazing. Um, thank you so much. I think this is going to help a lot of people. Um, and yeah, super grateful for you and your work. I know for everybody listening, I'll put links to all of Jenna's work in the show notes. Um, Jenna, where should people look to find you online? Yeah. So thank you so much. This was such a good conversation. Um, I do hope that it's helpful, um, even for people who don't have OCD or anxiety. Um, yeah. So if anything that I said resonated, definitely check me out more on Instagram. I'm on Instagram and TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. Um, just my first and last name with a period in the middle. I also have a website um, where I host a lot of workshops. I have a free email um, newsletter that I send out every week with lots of tips, education, um, and any uh, fun updates that I have. So that's at jennaoverbaughlpc.com. And like you mentioned, my podcast, uh, where we talk about all of these things in even better detail. And I have guests who come on and bravely share their story. So that is um, all the hard things. It's a podcast and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Perfect. All right, everybody, check her out. And Jenna, again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.